This podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult with your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We're back for another episode of the Not Your Doc Pod. I'm your host, Vanessa, and we're here again today with Mr. Doc, not your doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. How are you doing, Dr. Tadros? Hey, hey, Vanessa. How are you? It's nice to hear your voice. Nice to see you, in fact. I'm not just listening to your voice. I'm looking at you. Yeah. No, it's good to be here. Are you happy that it's fall today? Yes. Yes, it is. It's a a gorgeous day today. It was like 96 degrees yesterday, and today it's like low 70s. I was was sitting sitting in my car a couple days ago. I'm like, why is it so hot? I kept looking at my air conditioner thinking it was broken. And, or I had, uh, you know, I wasn't recirculating the air. And then I realized, oh, it's 100 degrees yeah, outside. Literally. It's pretty, it's very in keeping with Missouri weather for it to be Saint, lit- the, the actual first day of fall. And it feels like fall. Saint, and yesterday Saint, it felt like summer. So. St. Louis weather. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have some, some Raltos over this summer, uh, this uh, Sunday. Oh, nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, today we're going to talk about the other primary condition that we treat the most at the clinic, and that is anxiety. Mm-hmm. So uh, once again, we're going to try and demystify some things about anxiety by zooming the lens out and starting with the basics. Um, if you are, as a listener, if you haven't already listened to our previous episode about depression, you may want to go back and listen to that first before listening to the rest of this episode. In it, Dr. Tadros covers a lot about the process of identifying and getting treatment for depression that also applies directly to treatment for anxiety, specifically the importance of ruling out medical causes with your primary care physician and then when to see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So, um, all of that being said, um, Dr. Tadros, let's talk first about the symptoms of anxiety before we talk about its clinical definition. So what does anxiety feel like physically, mentally, emotionally? Well, I could probably ask anybody and they could tell me pretty dang accurately. I think, right. uh, you know, almost everybody will have some sort of uh, anxiousness throughout their sometime in their life. Yeah. Um, you know, anxiousness is a broad range and we'll talk about the different categories of anxiety. But anxiety is just an excessive amount of worry that uh, is probably out of proportion to the situation and the key is that it lasts for significant enough time mm. oftentimes six months or more and it, it, it impairs your your functioning so that's roughly just uh, how to talk about it uh, but uh, if we talk about generalized anxiety GAD mm-hmm. looks like it looks like it's, you should be happy because it looks like gad <laughs> uh, but it's a generalized anxiety I'm gad, yeah, I'm gad. No. Um, uh, but that's probably the most common uh, it's the chronic worrier the mm. worry wart um, and it could be about stuff that they can control or can't control, mm. um, uh, anticipate about stuff that's going to happen in the future that they, they may not be able to control. Um, but it's this chronic worry. It uh, oftentimes shows up as an internal tension, um, 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 uh, um, 
brain whirling in, uh, in terms of re- recurring thoughts uh, and worries, um, um, sometimes disturbed sleep, sometimes it's uh, occasionally disturbed appetite, uh, um, irritability, um, and other things like that that'll tell us uh, about generalized anxiety. Mm. Uh, people get stressed all the time. People get uh, other things that are sad that goes with stress. Um, people feel out of control. People feel overwhelmed. Uh, and that's not always the clinical diagnosis of generalized anxiety. Mm. So the key is uh, the length, uh, not only that it, that it impairs your life, uh, but uh, that it's six months or more. Um, and that's a long time to live with something like that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but that's enough to, to, for the doc to consider medic- medication treatment. But let's talk more about that because it's not medication. In fact, the older doc I become, the more I think medication is helpful, but not enough by sure. itself by any stretch. Yeah, so um, we answered this question, or you answered this question for us when we talked about depression, but who who gets anxious? Yeah. Is it a, a universally experienced right thing at some time or another in people's lives yeah generalized anxiety it can be uh, from kids uh, all the way through uh, older folk in fact I we I think we oftentimes miss it in kids and we can come back to that hmm. because it may manifest in other ways um, and then uh, and then what I as I've gotten older with my patients uh, as they say you grow old with old with your patients is that uh, we recognize that depression and especially anxiety uh, kind of comes up uh, late in life also yeah absolutely and we'll talk more about how those tend to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So, um, how, how can you tell if those, you know, persistent anxiety symptoms rise to the level of a clinical diagnosis? What, what's the clinical definition? Yeah. So I'll talk about five major types of anxiety categories. Uh, there's some minor ones. Uh, we'll talk the minor ones. Uh, so the big ones we'll talk because people have heard these acronyms and these terms. So there's generalized anxiety, chronic worry wart. There's panic disorder. Mm. Uh, these are people that actually have physical symptoms. Uh, they feel like they're dying or going crazy. Um, then there's PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are people that have either has something terrible has happened to them or could have happened to them or somebody they were near, that they witnessed. So whether it's rape or, or they were in, in, uh, in war or they were in an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's... Um, uh, there's uh, phobias, social phobias. Uh, this is um, sometimes everything from fear of separation from your youth to, to fear of uh, being in a public place with other people. Uh, so that covers, and then there's, uh, uh, so we've covered generalized anxiety, because I forget sometimes generalized anxiety, yeah. generalized anxiety, panic, uh, uh, PTSD, uh, social phobia, and then OCD, obsessive yeah. compulsive disorder, uh, which is also a type of ang- in the anxiety category. Yeah. Now, some of the ones that we're not going to really cover much because we don't see too much of this is anxiety due to uh, certain conditions. So anxiety due to drug use. Uh, so people who are um, who are using stimulants uh, can get anxiety uh, uh, spells um, and symptoms. Um, uh, people on on cocaine, um, and then there are people who have medical conditions, um, the hyperthyroidism, overactive thyroid. Uh, these people can have palpitations and weight loss mm-hmm. and insomnia and diarrhea and stuff that mimics um, psychological anxiety, but there's a physical cause. Their thyroid is overactive. And uh, uh, hyperadrenalism, hypercorticalism, uh, which is uh, uh, which is um, extra steroids, your adrenal glands right. sits on top of your kidneys, sometimes it, uh, uh, for a couple of different reasons. They'll make extra cortisol. Uh, cortisol is, sounds like cortisone. Right. Cortisol is your body's own natural steroid. Um, and that sometimes will cause you uh, also um, to feel um, panicky. Um, sure. So those are the ones we won't talk so much about. 
So what, talk more about some of those physical manifestations of anxiety. I mean, I think we kind of get the mindset and the psychological factors that Mm -hmm. can cause us to feel it, but what, Mm -hmm. what are the, some of the physical symptoms as well? So like I said, uh, for generalized anxiety, there's uh, physical tension, sometimes muscular Mm -hmm. tension, sometimes you're clenching your, uh, in your jaw and your neck, your shoulders, back. Um, so yeah, yeah, those, those are some of the things. And once again, this is, you can have tension in your jaw for other reasons. Sure. Uh, so it's not exclusive uh, to just ang- to anxiety disorders. So uh, emotional, uh, emotional tensile sleep disturbance, uh, difficulty dropping off uh, to sleep is usually you pop awake. Uh, or actually, typically d- dropping off is more common than popping awake. Uh, but for severe anxiety, we've seen people pop awake in the middle of the night right. or and stuff like that. But difficulty dropping off because your mind is swirling with a bunch of ideas and worries and thoughts. Um, uh, so sometimes people will uh, uh, lose weight because they're stressed. You know, mm-hmm. they lost appetite because they're so anxious. Um, so that's the other thing. Um, irritability. Uh, mm. So that sometimes shows up in kids, and that's where we sometimes yeah. misinterpret it. The kids that are oppositional defiant. Right. I think we we, we have to consider. Uh, they don't show up necessarily. They don't come to mom and dad and say I'm worried. I'm anxious. Right. Uh, I don't want to go to school. They just they you know they they, it they affects become, their behavior. That's yeah. right. They become angry and, yeah. and throw things and stuff like that. Sure. So uh, that's 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 where I would kind of place uh, kind of the physical symptoms for generalized anxiety. Sure. Panic, um, uh, feel like you're going to die. Sometimes chest pains or shortness of breath. Feel like uh, feel like uh, um, you're going to go crazy. You feel like you have to pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel uh, you feel uh, sometimes totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Hyperventilating, dissociation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Hyperventilating, which cause cause numbness in the fingers and lips and uh, and your whole and your head. Uh, feels like it's uh, uh, going to pass out or dizzy. Um, and dissociation is more severe cases. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so this feels like you're out of body, out of body experience. Um, so, um, right. so th- that's, that's, uh, that's for the, the panic, uh, for PTSD, uh, we talk about flashbacks and nightmares. Flashbacks feels like you're back in that situation again, right. or whatever it was. Where the threat's like, just as real as it was. Though. That's right. Even yeah. if it's decades before, mm-hmm. whether it's rape or, or you're in a battle or, uh, or you're wounded or your buddy gets wounded, um, uh, right next to you, uh, or in your car accident. Um, so it's not just stuff that could uh, that did happen to you could have hap- could have happened to you right uh, or it happened to somebody that you you, were, you that you knew uh, so that's we have to consider that and sometimes there's something called complex PTSD uh, which is that you had it repeated so if you were abused by a relative repeatedly not mm-hmm. just one time not right. just one time but repeatedly over months to years that's considered complex PTSD um, uh, and then, uh, and then OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's obsessions, which are thoughts uh, and, and beliefs, um, and then there's compulsions, the, the doing, the acting. Mm-hmm. It's easier to pick up the compulsions because uh, whether it's uh, you know rearranging things after somebody touches them yeah. to make sure that they're right, uh, uh, going back and checking something to make sure that the oven is off or the door is closed, uh, thinking uh, or washing your hands repeatedly to the point mm-hmm. where that you practically can't leave the bathroom and your hands are cracking and bleeding because you wash dozens of times per day. Sure. Um, and th- that's the compulsions, that's the doing. Mm-hmm. And the compulsions are there to relieve the obsessions. Right. The obsessions, even though that you recognize that your hands are not dirty, yeah. right? You know that you just, well, you didn't right. have, you don't have amnesia. You just wash your hands right. five times. Yeah. Uh, but you feel like if you don't do the the, yes. the, 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 the action, the anxiety will build up. Right. So the, right. the compulsions are to decrease your anxiety. Right. The it's, problem is- It's is, a check. Right, it's a check. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, is it feeds back 
into right. your, your 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 mental state. So it doesn't it doesn't relieve it. It's not like okay, I finally I've washed my hands 10, 12 times uh, before I you know go to work in the morning. I should be clean now. Mm-hmm. It's that you can't. It, it feeds back into it. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, and obsessions uh, are uh, and it could be obsessions without compulsions. Right. You could just have recurring thoughts that you have cancer mm. and and that nobody's listening to you. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's pay. Nobody cares. And so you keep thinking that you have cancer or you get relief from because you get a test or see a doc, you get a relief for a few hours, or a few days. Mm-hmm. But then either you go back to that obsession about that cancer or you th- start fixating on something else, uh, obsessions about something else about your health. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that again, we were talking about depression. There is sort of like a, a, you know, some people who are able to function with it and some people who just shut down completely, like what kind of functional mm-hmm. effects do we see on people's lives yeah. who have anxiety? Yeah. So some people can function despite significant anxiety They They have, uh, they have other, uh, personality and other features that help them. Uh, but it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And once again, you'll hear me throughout our, our podcasts. Some people are not curled up in bed, you know, uh, quivering and shaking and dysfunctional, yeah. totally dysfunctional. They're able to power through it, but it's, it's just exhausting to, 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 uh, to, uh, uh, maintain the rest of your day, right. rest of your schedule, rest of your that responsibilities. constant vigilance, yeah. Right. So, uh, so, um, um, the, so it, certainly anything that affects your life, uh, you know, you need, you know that you need to cook, you need to go to school, you need to go to camp, you need to, you know, go, go teach, you know, whatever it is. You, but but that it becomes very difficult. So some things are uh, are depression that prevents you from doing that. But things, uh, some a lot of times it's anxiety. Hmm. Um, I had an adult patient. This is an adult, not a kid. Uh, you know, he he had such uh, animosity at work and so so much work really attention. He start throwing up, you know, th- mm. you know, Sunday night. Yeah, and it would th- you know, and he, literal you know, Sunday scary. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, and we went hunting because we seen the kids, but we went hunting for all sorts of GI and neurologic problems, yeah. and it was really his anxiety. Was just he's just an obsessive, anxious, very anxious person. But it was, but he still powered through and made it to work a lot of times. Mm. But it's but uh, but it's but it's that physically debilitating, um, and to the point, and in fact. A lot of emergency room visits for chest pains and other things like that. A lot of, unfortunately, we, you know, if we have a hundred chest pain visits to, uh, from from uh, for middle-aged people, young and middle-aged people, fortunately, we don't have a hundred people with heart attacks, yeah, or hundred people with lung clots in their lung or something serious. A lot of stuff is uh, is uh, is GI and and and, and chest wall and yeah. and anxiety and Panic. anxiety yeah. anxiety mm-hmm. uses up a lot of resources poor patients and their families and the emergency rooms and the, and all the other stuff that we have to do to prove that it's not something uh, that's immediately life-threatening. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of alluded to this, uh, you know, this kind of symbiotic relationship between depression and anxiety. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. more about how those two, how, how easily those two things go hand in hand and, and sort of how they function together in relationship. Yeah, probably probably 70% of our depressed people that are initially depressed probably get, eventually get anxiety right. uh, on top of their depression. Uh, and uh, from and eventually, and certainly if you're not undiagnosed anxious person, if you're primarily anxious and you're undiagnosed for months to years, oftentimes these people will become depressed. Yeah. It's because they just have to power through so much stuff. I remind patients who sometimes confuse the two, depression, you feel 
low mood, uh, 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 sadness, uh, uh, decreased energy, decreased interest, uh, loss of pleasure. Whereas anxiety, oftentimes you feel like you're going to crawl out of your skin. Right. You're worried. Uh, you're panicked. You have anticipation of bad things happening. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, whether they do or don't, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's one of the hallmarks for panic disorder is that you anticipate that you're going to have another panic disorder, right. a panic spell somewhere that's going to embarrass you where you can't control control it and you can't get help. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think another pattern that we see, and I've you know experienced this personally, is that the the anxiety and the fear and the dread mm-hmm. of you know completing a task or being in a situation that mm-hmm. brings you those emotions and feelings that it it's so overwhelming that the only mm-hmm. uh, possibility you can think of to alleviate that stress is just to cancel all of your obligations mm-hmm. and responsibilities mm-hmm. and completely let yourself off the hook. And then almost immediately that depression takes over where you're self-loathing and judging mm-hmm. yourself and, right. um, you know, and just so d- down and sad and in a low mm-hmm. mood because you can't accomplish the things that you know you want to accomplish or set your mind to. And so it becomes right. kind of a self uh, feeding cycle. So that's important. And conscientious people, they know what they need to do. They, whether they go to school or, 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 you know, um, get a project done or uh, go to, you know, the kids baseball game, whatever it is, they know what they're responsible for, but they can't do it or they have a hard time doing it or it comes at a great energy and a great expense. And then they don't get pleasure in doing it. It's so much torture to get it done or get it started that they don't get the pleasure. They don't get the reward. They don't get the positive feedback. And oftentimes it's done late or done poorly. And so, uh, you know they they you know they know that they could have done better or should have done better. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it's depression or anxiety, and I know we're conflating the two sure. or, uh, right now. Um, it's one of the things I'd like to talk to people. It's not enough to promise that you're going to do better tomorrow. Yes, I think it's important to have tools and sometimes medications, oftentimes yeah. medications uh-huh. to help break the cycle. Uh, that, uh, but also the tools when your brain gets locked into anxiety about anticipating about mm-hmm. starting a project or getting, you know, standing in front of a class or whatever it is, um, you know, I, so you need tools. And that's one of the things that I, um, that I, um, I talk to people about and oftentimes they will not hear me and they have to go yeah. through it several rounds before they believe that they need more help than just, uh, you know, wishing a, a song and a prayer here right. because, you know, that's what they they're like. I recognize what's happening to me. I know I need to mm-hmm. uh, get up early. Mm-hmm. I know I need to, you know, just, you know, finish this, 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 this task, this project. And it's not that they don't know. It's not that they're right. not aware. It's that literally they have uh, mental and physical blocks that get stronger. They seem to get worse the more they push themselves. Sure. And we're, we're definitely going to talk about the role of behavior modification and therapy here mm-hmm. with treating anxiety minute, but let's, yeah. Let's start with just what kinds of, of treatments are available for anxiety in general. Let's talk medications. Yeah. So for generalized anxiety, for all the anxiety, uh, you know, SSRIs. So we'll talk medications first. And that's uh, oftentimes it's not the first. And I, although I talk because I'm a physician, I talk about medications first. But mm. oftentimes there are psychosocial and, and, and lifestyle uh, things that can be done. Uh, and certainly they should be added to medications. But sometimes it can be enough just to do those talk therapy and some other things. They may be able, if it's mild to moderate uh, depression, OCD, and stuff like that, right. you may be able to get away with that. So patients should not take this in order of importance that right, we're discussing right, it. We're right. just going to, this was the format we used for depression, so right. we're just going to follow it here. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for clarifying that. So, uh, you know, ser- selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are good for, for OCD, PC- PTSD, generalized anxiety, and panic. Uh, so those are 
pretty dang, those are pretty good. And sometimes you have to use higher doses um, in order to, for, for, for the more severe panic and OCD and PTSD. Uh, so that's, that's just, uh, the first thing. Then SNRI, selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So the first ones, the SSRIs are Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil and Celexa and mm-hmm. Lexapro. The second SNRIs are the, uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the uh, venaflexine, the effectors, and the cymbaltas mm-hmm. or duloxetines, um, and others. Um, so oftentimes those are the first ones. Um, as I mentioned with depression, we, we have uh, uh, with, with, with severe uh, OCD and, uh, um, uh, and uh, with panic, um, we have uh, clomipramine um, and we have um, uh, MAO inhibitors, uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. These are uh, older drugs that have more side effects. But uh, sometimes, whenever we, the first round, the first line therapies uh, like uh, like um, um, SSRIs, SRI, SNRIs are not working, we can go to older drugs that have more side effects, more mm. potential for overdose if people, patients can overdose on them on purpose or accidentally. Um, but uh, but they can be quite effective, uh, also. Uh, so those are kind of the, those are the general classes. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, people will get atypical antipsychotics added onto some of these other medications uh, if they have, if they have severe severe uh, 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 panic and mm-hmm. OCD. Um, uh, but but it turns out that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is probably uh, excellent for all these uh, types, whether generalized or panic uh, or uh, PTSD or OCD, uh, PTSD, PTSD, OCD, or social phobia. Uh, you know, so it turns out cognitive behavioral and other types of uh, mm-hmm. exposure and response uh, therapy, another type of therapy, it can also be extremely helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are not drugs. This is with a psychologist who does not prescribe uh, or, or talk, uh, some, some sort of talk therapist. That's sure. extremely important. This is where, you and know, I talked about they need people need tools. Yeah. Whether you have pills or don't have pills, you still need tools. You need to understand where where, where this stuff is coming from. Right. Um, so uh, yeah. so one, one thing I didn't hear here in your list of treatments is benzos, benzodiazepines. Uh, yes. yeah. So I I like your perspective on this, and mm-hmm. I want to hear more about what your thoughts mm-hmm. are because I think you know a lot of people think okay, I have anxiety, they're going to give me Valium, they're going to give me Clonopin, right. they're going to give me Xanax, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Talk about why that those shouldn't be first line treatments and the kind of the, the the other issues that come up with benzo use, heavy benzo well, use. Well, you know, I grew up in the era, and my the people who trained me grew up in the era where benzos were used heavily, yeah. and it got us into a lot of trouble. Even if we used them correctly, um, um, it got us into a lot of trouble. And uh, so let's let's talk about the benzodiazepines. That's the the valiums, uh, the, the di- which are also called diazepams, the clonopins or clonazepams, um, the transines. Uh, uh, the the Xanaxes or Alprazolam, the uh, Lorazepam or Ativans, uh, these are all Valium products. Um, so these are addictive and habit forming. Addiction uh, means that uh, that when, if you try to stop them, you can have withdrawals, uh, physical withdrawals. In fact, if you have higher doses and use them for longer periods of time, especially if you mix them with alcohol, we come back to that. But if you, benzodiazepines, if you try, if you're on moderate to higher doses and you try to stop them all at once, or you miss a dose or 
reduced some doses, you could potentially have seizures and, and die. So that's one of the things that can happen. The other thing that's been shown more recently in the last few years is that benzodiazepine, chronic benzodiazepine use, can be associated with uh, increased risk for cognitive decline, hmm. dementias. Um, so that's the other thing. If you have untreated sleep apnea where you stop breathing at night already uh, and you put people on benzodiazepines, and oftentimes they're in the form of sleep aids, and we can get into that, um, you can worsen their sleep apnea, right? So they can wow. become they can become so so sedated that they stop obstruct or stop breathing more with obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems is that people get the tolerance uh, right. to it where they need more and more of it to get the same relaxing effect. It's yeah. not that they don't work. Yes, they work they too work well. So well. They work yeah. too well and people right. don't want to come off of yeah. them. And whenever... Th- People, when the doctor tries to cut them off or taper them down, they have a rebound problem, yeah. and it's pretty marked. They they don't back to their, don't go whenever you try to stop it. If you don't have a seizure, you don't go back to your usual anxiety. You go super anxious mm. for sometimes days, multiple days yeah. to a couple of weeks before you can go back to your usual anxiety. So the problem is, is whenever patients run out of their drug or or they become frustrated and angry because the doctor is not doing it, so they just you know they they toss their pills. Um, what 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 people don't tell them is. Is that that's one of the few that and alcohol are the two things that you really can't you should not try to stop on your own. Yeah, you need the doctors uh, to to help guide you on this. Uh, so that's extremely important. The other piece that what happens uh, accidentally is, is that people accidentally find out that if they take their Xanax and they take a slug, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, liquor or beer or wine. Um, that they feel better. Yeah. Not the Xanax. That it works the, better. Yeah, the, yeah. Work, the mm-hmm. Xanax works and maybe works less and less. And instead of sure. calling the doc for more Xanax, they just have a beer with it. Yeah. And all of a sudden it works really well. And so this is what we call, uh, this is their, 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 they, they are synergistic. They work together to mm. give you the same effect. Right. And unfortunately you get something called cross tolerance. Where the more alcohol you have, uh, the, the 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 more tolerance you have for having Xanax, so that you need. So that if you go to the emergency room and they try to give you Valium to help you with whatever problem that you're having, they're going to have to give you fairly high doses because you're taking a little bit of Xanax at home with quite a bit of beer or uh, yeah. wine, and then all of a sudden the, in the ER, whenever they try to give you some Valium products like your Xanax, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to use a higher dose right. as because you have something called cross tolerance, and so that becomes doubly problematic whenever you try to come off of one or both of them mm-hmm. um, is that that you increase risk of seizures and death whenever you so that's the other thing if you're if you're a moderate to heavy drinker and we can talk about that in another yeah. podcast uh, even without Xanax without any other benzos coming off of alcohol is its own problem and say say something about you know the the risk of death associated with you know benzo and alcohol use mm-hmm. together would mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. you can feel relatively fine going to bed and go to sleep and just not wake up because it de- Presses your nervous system so much. Yeah. And so this is a, you know, uh, Instead of having to go to the doctor to treat your anxiety and get Xanax or, or Prozac or do talk therapy, some people just learn that alcohol will help them with their anxiety. Sure. And the problem, like with Xanax, is that they need more and more of it over time to help them. So they, they whether they start at, you know at the end of the day, whenever they want to unwind after a rough day, and then they, you know they have a couple in the evening, and then they have then they then they start expanding it more and more in their life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can go quickly in terms of weeks or months to expand uh, to take over more and more of their life. 
life. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff is not trying to get buzzed or high. They're just trying to calm themselves down from yeah, their rough day right. and stuff like that and from their anxiety disorders. Uh, so a lot of people are not intentionally trying to do anything. But unfortunately, the, the side effect is that they get into trouble. And the physicians, and I have that in one of my blogs, the physicians don't recognize it. They don't ask enough questions. They misinterpret what the patient says. They mm-hmm. don't drill down deep farther. And this is even still happens to me today. The patients say, I don't drink that much. Well, it turns out they don't drink that much because they stopped five days ago because yeah. they knew they're going to come see me. Yeah. And so, and so when, you know, four or five days ago, their benzos or their alcohol was, you know, moderate to high uh, and stuff like that. So, so you have to drill down and you have to, and sometimes you have to make statements such as, okay, you may not want to share everything, but this is what I worry about. So you have to tell mm-hmm. them some potential side effects so they can weigh that stuff for themselves. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So, but people learn to self-medicate. Um, and so that's another thing we can talk about marijuana separately another day. Uh, but, but certainly probably the most dangerous drugs uh, out combine. there combined yeah. are, are over, you know, alcohol that you don't need prescription for yep. and benzos that you need a prescription for. And people, and people just are trying to feel better. They're trying to yeah. get to sleep. They're trying to be less nervous. They're trying to be feel yeah. happier at a party, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very dangerous. Um, uh, so yeah. Okay. So now we, you know, we've talked about some of the drug treatments for anxiety. Now it's definitely talk about, uh, about therapy. So in, in my personal experience, like behavioral coping skills that mm-hmm. I I've learned in therapy have been incredibly important for managing my anxiety. Mm-hmm. 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 And I find that those skills and tools have actually been more, more helpful for managing my anxiety than for managing my depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure mm-hmm. there are plenty of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But um, why are why are those tools so important? I think specifically emotional intelligence, being able to name and describe the feelings that you're having. Yes. And then also behavior modifications and coping skills to, to manage those emotions that you're experiencing. Why are they such an important and critical component to treating anxiety? Well, so it turns out there's something called neuroplasticity. So we can retrain our brain. If you want to learn how to learn a new language or learn how to play a violin or anything in life, you're laying down new tracks, new pathways um, uh, uh, between in your nervous system. And just the same way, by by uh, through whether types of talk therapy, or exposure therapy, you're laying down new tracks. Mm. Uh, now you don't get rid of the old tracks. You don't get rid of the old traumas and the old stuff. But they you can quiet them down. Uh, by 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 using uh, by using some of the new habits that you that you train. You're right. going to practice. You're going to train. You're going to be exposed. Uh, uh, you're going to expose yourself. You're going to expose yourself with the help of a therapist and stuff like that. And eventually, you'll learn exposure for yourself. Um, and so you're learning. You're laying down new pathways that help uh, mitigate some of the effects of uh, of um, of the anxiety disorders. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think too. Um, you know, especially with starting with naming emotions mm-hmm. and being able to say, because I think sometimes people say, well, I'm depressed or I'm anxious mm-hmm. and it's, it's very general. You know, are you, are, do you feel tightness in your chest? Are you, are you exhausted? Are you irritable? Mm-hmm. Are you crying? Like there are, there are a lot more specific things that you can be experiencing physically or emotionally that you need to be able to name Mm -hmm. in order to pick the right coping skill that's going to help you mitigate those things that you're experiencing. We we haven't touched it. There's a whole, you can get your doctorate degree in in childhood trauma and other other things that happen in in, in childhood. But a lot of stuff we can trace back, not always, but a lot of stuff we can trace back to to abandonment and trauma or perceived abandonment and trauma, even Mm -hmm. if they're 
your loved ones, your relatives were there taking care of you, uh, if they were busy doing other things too, um, and so perceived and not only just real, um, as, and abuse also. So abandonment, abuse, and trauma are, are big deals in childhood that we later see in life as depression, anxiety, and all right. sorts of other all sorts of other issues that affect your work and your love life, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but naming naming uh, putting a name to your symptoms, your palpitations, mm-hmm. your fatigue, right. if you slept long enough and stuff like that. Naming is extremely important. Uh, otherwise, it's just this, this gray fog that you're trying right. to fight. It's and, so nebulous. And, yeah, it's just yeah. like it's like all over. Um, so this this is, is out in the ether. Everything bothers you. Everything yeah. is everything's scary. Right. So to, to actually to, to to be able to kind of put a wall around it and right. be able to name it that it's oh, this is my childhood sense of abandonment. Now that's I feel it this way as an adult. Um, oftentimes is a humongous humongous help. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can't get rid of all your symptoms with medicines, but we could what we can do is give you so much insight that it, they don't last very long because you can catch yourself right. and you can cut it cut it off at the past much more quickly mm-hmm. before you may have you know hours. Uh, hours of, of symptoms and some days of, tr- of worries. Now you can catch it much more. You get practiced and you get better at it. And this is without even medications. Right, right. Yeah. So you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy before. What kinds of behavioral therapies are effective in treating anxiety? Yeah, so certainly CBT, cognitive behavioral. So this is the type, this is whenever you, uh, um, what, what the therapist will do is work with you on how you're thinking or your thoughts and beliefs now, mm-hmm. and your perceptions now of whatever, whatever the troubles that, you know, somebody doesn't like you or your physical symptoms mm-hmm. help you refra- question, help you question and reframe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have, I'm anxious that my kid is at the side of the road and must be dead because they didn't return my call. You know, okay, mm-hmm. what other things could be happening right. with your child? Right. You know, it's like, they, oh, their phone could be dead. Oh, right. you know, they could be having too much good time at the right. party. Oh, they, you know, they may, you know. So the, what's more likely, that they're, they're dead aside the road or is it more likely that, mm-hmm. they're, that they're not look, listening to their phone because they're and that, friends? that helps deal with that mismatch that you explained at the mm-hmm. in, that at the beginning, that this is worry worry that is out of proportion mm-hmm. to what reality is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some things are, are, are you know, it's not, it's not unusual to worry about your kids or worry sure. about cancer yeah. or worry, you know, there's a lot, most of these worries are, are very realistic. It's just way out of proportion and they last much longer than the reassurance. Once mm-hmm. you're reassured that the kid is like, but you're still panicking, you're still shaking, you're still worrying about the next time that the kid doesn't respond mm-hmm. uh, to your, uh, to your call, or your text. So, uh, so, uh, so that's, that's the, it's not that these people are, um, are, are grabbing things out of left field. These sure. are real, re- the vast majority, some yeah. of them are, but the vast majority are real concerns about money, about relationships yeah. but it's just about things that should be worried about that's right. really yeah but should be contained yes. that should not swallow up your whole life and all your energy absolutely okay so cbt what else do we offer anxiety but exposure and response the other one yeah. the other big one that i like is for exposure and response therapy uh, that for our uh, for oftentimes for our for our ptsd patients and mm-hmm. our people with social uh, phobias mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, fear of, of speaking fear of being out in public mm-hmm. fear, fear fear of meeting strangers new people and mm-hmm. stuff like that so that's the that's the other uh, that's the other type uh, and uh, and there's another group uh, that's not, not as well studied for this but but dialectical behavioral therapy also can be helpful mm-hmm. it dialectical behavioral therapy was initially developed for personality disorders uh, borderline personalities but uh, now it's been modified to include depression and anxiety for certain people yeah. uh, so that can be helpful and there's uh, many many types of therapies out there and 
and even I as a physician, as a primary care physician, I don't always know what kind of therapies. And usually most practitioners do several types of therapy. Right. They, they know several types of techniques. They don't just use one. Um, so I never, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, whenever I send a patient to a therapist or ask them to go find mm-hmm. a therapist, I'm not always sure what type of therapy they're going to get. But I want patients to be aware to ask and say, yeah. hey, what are we going to do? There's elect- EMDR, the eye movement, uh, deep, de- I can't even remember it, is eye movement de- desensitization and reprogramming. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is uh, used for uh, for PTSD, PTSD mm-hmm. initially, and now they do it for other uh, depression, uh, anxiety. So it's let's let's like give that. an example for people to, to tell people understand exposure therapy because I think that could have a really oh, good. great application. So say I I get extremely anxious and worked up when I know I have to drive on the highway. Mm-hmm. What what yeah. would exposure therapy look like to help me overcome something like that? So the the therapist will be interested in knowing kind of what kind of history historical problems you've mm-hmm. had about driving if you had to accident or you were a kid and your parents were driving or you witnessed an accident. So they want to know kind of where, where things may have started. You may not always know. And then they'll you'll, then you'll describe to them what you feel. It's like I even thinking about getting into the car makes me panic and stuff yeah. like that. So I don't even want to think about it. Well, what we're going to do is start showing you pictures of a car. <clears throat> so... Well, we won't even get you out in the, you know, you know, we're going to show you pictures of a car and if you, and we'll, we'll monitor you, we'll monitor your, your pulse and your, and your sweats and, 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 and what your racing thoughts. And we're going to give you techniques to help you calm you mm-hmm. so that you can deal with the physical symptoms right. um, uh, first. So your racing thoughts, you know, uh, can you think about, you know, more pleasant things that are happening, your racing, you know, breathing techniques and other things like that, meditation techniques so that we can, that you can have a tools to control your anxiety. Sometimes you have pills like beta blockers and other things, but mm-hmm. these are tools. This is a therapist. Yeah. And so, okay, if we, we get to the point where you can look at a picture of a car or think about a, a car, the next thing we're going to get you out to the garage or the driveway and look at the cars yeah. physically itself. And then we use that. And this, sometimes this can be done over several hours. Yeah. Sometimes it goes over days, but sometimes over several hours. Then we're going to sit in the car. Then we're going to turn on the car and just sit in the driveway. Then we're going to have you pull out of the driveway and just you know drive down the street in your own familiar neighborhood and come and, back. And the goal of taking this stepwise is for me to identify what I'm experiencing physically and emotionally as I'm getting progressively closer to to this stressor and practicing using those tools to calm myself again. And then once I'm calm in a previously stressful environment, we're ready to escalate things a little bit closer to... And thanks for clarifying that because that's extremely important. Your memory, your memory uh, is uh, the memory of, uh, or the fear is associated with physical symptoms and psychological, Mm -hmm. uh, psychological symptoms. So your memory of a bad car trip or a bad accident is so, so so now that you're safe, I mean, Mm -hmm. gotta be safe. uh, Just the memory, even months and years later can trigger those physical and psychological symptoms. What we're trying to do is dissociate the memory from the physical and psychological so you can think about it and not have panic and you can deal with actually using a car now right. and getting on a highway mm-hmm. or getting on a back street. And that's kind of, so you stepwise through this through uh, through, um, uh, through the course. And sometimes it's, you can do this all within a day, yeah. uh, literally. And stuff, stuff that's bothered people for years, you can sometimes... Uh, just uh, step through uh, with a help of therapy. And this is actually mm. where a therapist uh, sometimes, oftentimes, will have to leave the office and come, whether you're afraid of heights. Yeah. They work with you on, you know, on elevators or stairs or tall buildings. They'll come with you to a tall building and work with you, work with you up there. And same thing with um, PTSD mm-hmm. uh, uh, people who are hypervigilant. These are right. people who are always watching their back. Um, they, they'll work with you on, on, on being in, in, in crowds and, and open spaces and 
places that maybe at wartime were dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, or places that you were very worried about for your own safety. I think the the concept and and therapeutic practice of dis- desensitization is re- extremely powerful, mm-hmm. and and especially teaching people the the process mm-hmm. of becoming desensitized to something. So maybe you overcome this giant fear of being in the car on the highway because you've walked through this process and you've realized, you know, how to name how you're feeling and explain your emotions and what's going on in your body, calming Mm -hmm. yourself with your new tools, moving forward. You can apply that to so many other things that bring you anxiety or fear in your life. So I think that's a really powerful one for people. Yeah. There's something called micro traumas. These are not big enough to be called PTSD and stuff like that. Uh, You know, having to face your teacher whenever you did, got a bad grade and having Mm -hmm. to argue question and you know, that you, felt that you were under their thumb and couldn't speak your mind and then traumatized you with authority and stuff like that. And you could work with that even for yeah. micro traumas. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, let, let's talk now about treatment resistant anxiety. Cause that's sort of where we mm-hmm. wrapped things with depression as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the clinical definition or when does, when does treated anxiety rise to the level of treatment resistant mm-hmm. and what treatments are available? Well, once again, you know, there's resistant generalized anxiety and, and panic and PTSD and OCD and uh, social anxiety. So they're mm-hmm. going to be treated so differently. But certainly if and certainly if you've had several different rounds of therapy, whether, you know, oral oral medications or uh, behavioral techniques that don't help or don't get you uh, or, or you uh, relapse mm-hmm. um, um, or you have too many side effects from the medications, for sure. instance, like that. Um, and, you, and the anxiety is still impacting your life. It's hard for you to get through your day, um, then we can consider it treatment resistant. Uh, uh, and for those patients, um, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's, there's everything from ketamine to uh, to um, uh, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, sometimes in combination with mm-hmm. your pe- medication, other medications, oral medications, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and so and and we can go all the way um, to uh, um, uh, sometimes people having to have ECT uh, uh, for severe severe cases of yeah. o- OCD, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, and stuff like that. Not mm-hmm. so for the other ones. So um, those are very special, and those are. Uh, by f- those need to go to psychiatrists, sometimes psychiatrists who specialize just in the OCD and stuff like that because it's so time consuming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So let's let's kind of finish up with some lifestyle aspects that you think are sure. will help people reduce anxiety overall. I, I think that, um, you know, anxiety, like I was saying, just from personal experience that I've I've found tools mm-hmm. and lifestyle changes to be incredibly powerful in managing mm-hmm. my anxiety, even more so than depression symptoms. So yeah. what what can people do to influence just their, you know, without doing meds, without doing therapy? Yep. What can they do now to help with their anxiety symptoms? So something we totally didn't talk about is <laughs> uh, is exercise and meditation. So yeah. uh, whether it's yoga or, 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 or uh, br- uh, breath exercise, uh, breath exercises um, are extremely important uh, and can be very helpful. Uh, so um, that's uh, practice calming the nervous system, right. right? I mean, really, just self-soothing. That's correct. It's health, healthful ways to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. So med- meditation, including prayer, which is a form of meditation, uh, can do it. Exercise uh, can do it. Uh, typically, aerobic exercises, swimming, jogging, mm-hmm. biking, skipping rope, etc., uh, can all 
be helpful. Um, a lot of a lot of it eventually focuses around uh, decreasing the sympathetic or ner- uh, flight f- flight fight or freeze response. So mm. We're trying to decrease the sympathetic nervous system response. Mm. Um, we could do it with medications, but you could do it also with breathing exercises, mm-hmm. uh, yoga, etc. And also with the with the with the, with the exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know exercise increases your respiratory rate, increases your heart rate, right. but it's appropriate for the for for the demand of oxygen, demand for your muscles and stuff right. like that. But after uh, and, uh, and but afterwards, it also helps uh, whenever you at the recovery and afterwards right. that your resting is, is uh, more, more restful. More, more, more restful. Your <laughs> your heart rate is lower yeah. lower than baseline. Absolutely. And exercise kind of gives you an outlet for some of that restless mm-hmm. energy. Some there are some of that undirected energy that right. can feel pent up as anxiety. Right. Um, you great. can expend some of that and talk a little bit about alcohol too and how alcohol can influence anxiety. I know that mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. many many people experience intense anxiety during a hangover when mm-hmm. their body is going through that withdrawal process right. from alcohol. Right. Um, so how can, you know, li- limiting or reducing your alcohol intake and, pr- you know, help well, with a lot, a lot of times there's a lot of shame around it if it's in front of a doc or family members and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, so I ask people, this is my, whenever uh, alcohol, this is when alcohol is uh, taking too much of your life. I ask people, uh, do you feel embarrassed or angry if somebody brings up your drinking? Mm. Do you feel have to, you, do you feel like you have to, now or in the past, do you have to feel like you cut need to cut down or cut out your alcohol even for a little while? Uh, people, you know, take the, like their, you know, they take a month off of alcohol and just to show that, you know, for the, to, to reset their body, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do, do you feel like you have to get up in the morning to get an eye opener, you know, to help with your hangover? You can yeah. you know, take an aspirin or you can drink again. Hair of the dog. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, so that's the other thing. So uh, any of these things, uh, uh, you know, do you feel like do you feel like you're missing? And so the craving is a kind of a missing. Well, it's like I've chosen. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me to do it, but I've chosen to come off it. But I'm looking for it. I'm, I'm going to be off it for a week. Or I'm looking forward to getting back mm-hmm. uh, to it and stuff like that. So the craving is stuff like that. You kind of think about it. It takes up more and more of your brain space mm-hmm. to think about when your next drink is, whether it's a week from now or tonight or whatever is mm-hmm. like that. So those are kind of signs uh, for me that alcohol may be uh, a significant problem in your life and a lot of people are self like I said a lot of people maybe young people yeah. are trying to get buzzed you know, you, you sure. know hurry up and hit the Everclear to get buzzed as fast as possible but most people adults uh, like us what they do is slip into habits yeah. they're, they're, they're Zinfandel they're white wine you know in the afternoon whenever you don't have the kids are gone or you know you're, you're semi-retired or fully retired then you can start drinking earlier what happens is if you don't you have to go to work and stuff you can start drinking earlier and earlier and mm-hmm. there's literally you know as long as you're not driving people yeah. say well, well no, who's reason in, no, no reason no, why, why, you know, and it gets us into trouble health wise. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one as a physician has to hear about the weight gain and the uh, erection problems and the sleep disturbances mm-hmm. and the triglyceride. I look at the triglyceride problems and the liver function problems, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one that says, hey, I think that it may just maybe your alcohol. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people are self-medicating and they don't realize it. And whenever they try to cut back. They, they have worsening sleep yes. because alcohol initially helps you sleep. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as it wears off at two o'clock in the morning, you're wide awake. And you feel horrible. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're wide awake and because your, 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 your sleeping aid, your, your nightcap, uh, you know, just wore, wore off. And so it's hard to get back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and it takes a while to get back to your normal rhythms. It's not just a few days off of alcohol. Right. Uh, so anyway, sure. so yeah. 
Okay, well, I think we should kind of, like, cap with what the the future of anxiety treatment is like. I mean, I think we should start by saying that there are good treatments available for anxiety. Already. Already. That's correct. There, yeah. We have some very good, and a lot of them are not pills, not uh, yeah. the SSRIs and SNRIs and stuff like that. But uh, but certainly whenever people need to get a handle on panic and stuff like that and OCD, sometimes they need medications up front until they get the tools. Because it takes a while to get the tools sure. uh, practiced. Yeah. You have practiced, to acquire them. Practiced. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, one of the problems that therapists have is that when people are on medicines, especially benzos and alcohol, that if they're feeling good, they don't want to come. Right, to, exactly. They don't want to come learn any right. tools. They already yeah. feel fine. My pill, my pill works. Yeah, my yeah. pill works. My Ambien to help me sleep and stuff like that works and stuff like that. So that's part of the problem we run into. Uh, but certainly in the future, we're, we're you know we're, we're especially for PTSD and stuff like that. We're having you know uh, uh, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, and uh, potentially MDMA and some other ones that right now are being studied for PTSD and for depression are potentially going to help people with anxiety disorders also. We'll see. Um, so that's in the, somewhere in the future. Uh, ketamine, we mm-hmm. certainly use that in our clinic for people with OCD and PTSD and anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes they're already on medications that are some, somewhat helping. Um, and so uh, they're already, these patients come to us already with psychiatrists or primary care doctors already prescribing their oral medications. Uh, I tend to find, and you've heard me say mm-hmm. uh, dozens of times, I want, a lot of people need therapy or more therapy or better therapy. Yes. Uh, they need better tools better techniques they need to stick it out longer you know and stuff like that even if they don't think the therapy is helping it takes practice in order for the neuroplasticity to stick yeah for sure and okay so we'll kind of summarize with um kind of where we ended with depression as well that you know the the first step if you're you know if you're experiencing symptoms of anxiety or you feel like you might have anxiety that needs to be addressed by your doctor start with your primary care physician Mm -hmm. to you know rule out any of those medical causes that dr tadros is talking about first um to see if those things are you know possibly causing your anxiety be honest and open about how you're feeling with your doctor um taking care to name specifically what situation um, uh, cause you anxiety and what the symptoms of anxiety look for you per- look like for you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, take heart that there are lots of good treatment options out there for anxiety. Um, there are many medications that work effectively, but specifically different behavioral therapies can be incredibly effective mm-hmm. in helping people manage their right. different states of anxiety. I will, I will argue that you sometimes have to direct your physician that I don't want Xanax, yeah. I don't want this, that I would, you know, and my mom t- takes Lexapro, and I'd rather, you know, I don't want that, but I do want talk therapy, or I need a th- talk therapist, or I, my drinking, maybe, you know, I'm, I think I'm masking my al- uh, my insomnia and my, my my anxiety with drinking. I may need some help with that. So sometimes you have to tell your physician that you recognize that there are other treatments yes. that they can reach for that are easy for them to reach for, but that, that you're wanting this path. Or maybe simultaneously, you want two or three things happening at once. You want a limited, you want a limited, uh, you know, run of uh, certain medications, uh, but that, that you really want to uh, work uh, on the tools and other techniques. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. So there's definitely hope out there. Um, Of course, new treatments coming um, that we're really excited about for OCD, PTSD, lots of promising things on the psychedelic forefront there. Yes. Um, And so if you want to tell us more um, about your experience with anxiety or if you have other questions that have popped up as a result of this podcast, um, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. That is notyourdocpod at gmail.com 
Thank you so much, Dr. Tadros. It was fun. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for, for getting uh, all the good questions I think that our uh, our listeners would like to, to would have been here to talk about. Absolutely. And we could do 10 more episodes about anxiety we, we and therapies and anxiety. So stay <laughs> yeah. tuned. There's 10 more. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. We'll see you all again. All right. Bye-bye. This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.